Hello, welcome to the People Who Play podcast, the podcast designed to inspire you to live playfully. I'm Emma and as always, I'm here with hashtag producer husband. Well, I'm glad we're still here, Ems. I think you owe everyone an apology. Where we're, have you been? Well, we... Yeah, where have you been? been? <laughs> Bed's empty? <laughs> oh, dear. A straight into a Mrs. Weasley quote there. Lovely. Yep. Um, we're late. We're sorry. Um, very late, actually. We got struck down by a non-COVID-based chest infection. Yeah. The whole family. We're all, we were all ill. And we're still, with these podcasts, we're still kind of, what's the expression, hand to mouth. Like, we don't have Ooh. loads of... <laughs> We just to point out we did not have foot and mouth disease. We are, yeah, we're kind of still record, release, record, release. We don't have loads in the can. Are you is trying what I'm to saying. say that we don't have a schedule? No, we have a schedule, but Could have we. Me. <laughs> the interviews are locked in, but it's getting me and you together. It's yeah. tough to find time, isn't it, at the moment? Is it? Yeah. Right. Well, can I just jump back to when we were ill? When both parents are ill. Did you ever play the game Gauntlet? When you were younger. On on the Commodore 64 or the Amiga. Oh, I was thinking more like Gladiators. No, just just stay with me on this because this is... (laughs) This is what it's like. So, on that video game... (coughs) Oh my goodness. The game would only end if you both died at the same time. Right. Yeah. And that is kind of like parenting. (laughs) If you are both out of action, it is basically the worst time of your life. It's awful. Your life force is running out. I I got really down and I thought that we would never be well again. People, when people get ill, different things happen. You get down. Yeah. Because yeah. you think that that's your life forever. Yeah, it's hard to Well, imagine. it's a good wake-up call because health is everything, Emma. That's how I felt. I thought, like, every day when you wake up and you're well, that's a privilege. Yeah, I mean, elf and wizard died at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Am I the elf or the wizard? <laughs> I don't know. Wizard is about to die. I think me and you, we don't really get on when we're ill. We have very different approaches to dealing with illness. Yeah, which concerns me massively about old age. Because <laughs> I, honest, honestly, we are awful to each other. The resentment yeah. is ridiculous. Well, I We think have it's... to be nice when we're <coughs> ill. We do. Oh, you're so annoying though. Like, oh, I'm, thanks, I'm... <laughs> thanks. I'm quite... So my approach, oh, oh, my approach okay. to being ill is I would literally be happy crawling into a cave with no one disturbing me and then just coming out when I'm all, like, happy and fine again. Oh, what again. a perfect world you live in. <laughs> but you, you like to sort of perform your illness. I like to on put the... a billboard up. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, I like do. to announce it. Oh, my God, there was this moment when you were ill. I don't know if it was this time, actually. It might have been the one before. When you came into the lounge and, like, me and the kids were just sat there watching a film and you had this, like, like blanket around you and you yeah. were like, I just need a cuddle from my family. And we yeah. were all like, ew. Yeah, you are a bit like, <laughs> um, you want me to be like, you know, when a cat just walks off to die. <laughs> You know, it just goes for a walk. It's like, I'm going to die now. It's like, well, go and, go and do it over there. You're like that. Yes. 
Yes, I don't like the sort of... I think I feel guilty and I want to help with the kids. What I don't like, and speaking to some of my friends, their partners do the same thing, is constantly announce the illness. It's like, we know that you're ill. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, you don't have to keep saying it. Yeah. Take your billboard away. I think I was more ill than you. <laughs> oh my God. I think I was a you few were not. You were not. I also had hay fever and I was on my period and you cannot trump that. Okay, moving on. I just want to let you know something I've been trialling the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Okay. On the school run, <coughs> um, I've been trialling taking a coffee in a mug in the car. I've seen you doing that and I think, what is that man doing? I like it. But does it not spill out? Yeah, it's a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, you're coughing all over the place. This is awful broadcasting. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. It's not COVID, by the way. That's the other thing. When you're ill now and me like, oh, we're ill. People are like, you got COVID? Yeah. You're like, no, no, no COVID. No, no, they don't do the princess die thing where they touch you. <laughs> they don't shake your hand. They treat you like, yeah, you are the infected. Yeah. And even if you haven't got COVID, you know, people are a bit suspicious. Yeah, liar. Yeah. Show me your test. Yeah, I'll show them. Shove that right up my nostrils. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see a test? You just do it in front of their face, shake the thing, um, so and how... then wait 20 minutes just staring at them. <laughs> how has your mug on the school... You're, a, like... mu you're a mug on the school run. You get light... Uh... You get nice looks from other cars. When you pull up at traffic lights, people look in, they just see a, a relaxed man with a mug of coffee in their car. <laughs> that is beyond chill. When you have to slam on the anchors, though, it is extremely difficult. Do you put it, it in the cup is... holder? No, hold it the whole way. Wow. It's okay when, you are, when you've drunk the first half. Mm. That initial bit is... Mm. very difficult i do i keep like looking at the door and i see like all the school shoes and then just your mug <laughs> <laughs> they have a little car picnic <laughs> i like it. it's cozy you're bringing the home into the car do you think that's frowned upon do you think that's illegal what to take a mug people drink a normal coffee yeah if you had to really hit the brakes it'd be <laughs> a nightmare it would smash the windscreen it would be awful yeah. you have to drive very very slow <laughs> Do you think you'll sort of level that up? Have a plate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no. Knife a, and fork? Just a full, like, full English breakfast. Anyway, moving on. Who the heck have you got on this damn show? Well, Ben, we have an artist. Ooh, okay. Highbrow. Yeah. Um, we have Muragaya. He's an award-winning artist and designer based in London. Born and raised in the UK with Sri Lankan heritage. And he trained as an architect and then sort of carved out his own creative path. He does these like really surreal um, illustrations. He describes them as being joyful, loud and unapologetic. And I like art that isn't sorry. They're, yeah, well, this is not sorry about anything. <laughs> um, yeah, I love it. And he works with all sorts of like really big brands now, Apple, Disney, Marvel, um, all sorts of really cool brands. And... He is an awesome guy. I really enjoyed this conversation. And the, the sort of theme of the conversation is around uh, creativity and imagination. And we really get stuck into how you can sort of foster that in childhood and how 
uh, more creativity is needed in the education system. And yeah, he, I think he just has a really great perspective and I really, really loved this conversation. Um, you're a creative guy. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to listen. Without further ado, let's do it. Here it is. Hi, Sham. Welcome to the People Who Play podcast. Hi there, Emma. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. I'm very excited to chat to you. Yeah, this is going to be a good discussion. Um, talking about creativity and creativity in play is probably like one of my favorite topics. And when I look at your work, um, your art, um, wow, I love it so much. It's such like a bit of me. It's just so apologetic and just like this explosion of joy and color. So I can't wait to, yeah, hear all about your sort of story through creativity and and how you kind of became um, the artist that you are today. I always start the podcast by asking people to share a little bit about their play DNA. So kind of going back to your childhood, to your formative years, would you be able to share the types of things that you played as a kid, the things that kind of like really lit you up that you think have played a role in um, kind of how you have ended up being the person you've become? Yeah, wow. Okay, so that's uh, that's an interesting question. I, um, I have an older brother who... I think kept com- kept me company when I was a kid quite a lot, and we always used to play together, which was nice. And um, I think the thing that I can remember the 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 thing that connects enough to uh, to my work today is probably playing with Legos. I'm pretty sure that was the kind of main thing that I remember playing with. And my brother and I would build these giant kind of Lego structures and worlds and um, play within them. And uh, yeah, outside of that, I think that was the thing that kind of like led me on to the path of uh, creativity and art uh, that I Mm. took later down the line Um, because I did architecture at university. So I think that that sense of building blocks with Lego kind of also and those and Lego is always kind of like they're a really fun brand and they're quite they're very bright and colorful themselves. So I feel like those mm. those elements had a had a part to play in um, in how I developed later on. But it's always so difficult to tell, really, isn't it? I mean, there wasn't there, there isn't a lot of kind of um, specific formative stuff that I think really connected a, as well as some other people. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, uh, it is it is tricky. Yeah, and it's it's all <laughs> it's like super obviously individual to our experiences but I think as as we sort of grow up um, and we kind of go through adulthood um, I think getting closer to your authentic self which sounds really cheesy but I think that's something that a lot of us sort of strive to do and often in play is where we can find our authentic self and people will sort of say yeah actually I used to kind of do this as a kid and this was how I played and this is the type of thing that lit me up and I don't really have any of that in my life anymore and when they start to reintroduce it um it can have quite transformative effects it really it really can yeah it really can I I did used to um I used to draw quite a lot in my room and I I used to uh my family took me to go and see films um all kinds of films when I was a kid we went to see the Lion King and Jurassic Park and Independence Day and um, 
Aladdin was one of my favorite movies as a kid. And I would, I'd get so excited watching the films at the cinema, I'd immediately want to go home and draw the characters from the films. And I think, again, that sense of like being quite excited and passionate about um, film was was part of my play. It really was. I, I would, um, I was upset. I'm still obsessed with films. I have been my entire life. But again, it was something that played a part in the lego building blocks as well as watching films um and i think my parents tend this is this is one that's maybe a little bit um more difficult to kind of like um quantify into adult life i do this in adult life now but i also my parents dressed me up in quite bright colors as well it was the Mm. 80s so i guess um (laughs) i guess that's that was the style anyway but i look back on pictures of me as a kid and, uh, you know, I show friends or I show my girlfriend and, and she's like, that's how you dress now <laughs> with all the kind of bright, crazy bright colors and stuff. So I am finding a path back to my authentic self, my childhood self in many different ways. And it's really fun to kind of look back and rediscover some of those things that influenced me as a kid and how they manifested. Yeah. Today. I love that. I'm sort of seeing this picture of like this like floor of Lego creations and like these bright um, kind of bold um, fashion looks and these yeah. doodles that you're doing from films. It's, it's interesting what you say about how the film then takes you to the drawing because I think for some people they're very intimidated by the idea of creativity and uh, many people believe that they're not creative and that the only people that are creative are sort of extroverts or people that are really good at art and, and things like that. But um, creativity sits in all of us, but it does require a spark, doesn't it? And that spark can come from absolutely anywhere. And I, f- I find it fascinating how... Um, those sparks kind of come into people's consciousness almost. So, you know, for you watching those films took you to, um, you know, a place of doodling or, or sort of sketching um, to okay. someone else it might have taken them to like drawing or even their fashion style. Um, it's just really interesting, like how I think once you identify with that idea of creative sparks, it can open up the creative possibilities for you, I think. Yeah, it really can. And it, it's it's very much to do with sparks, but it's also a lot to do with positive encouragement of that um, interest. I think a lot of people, mm. a lot of kids when they're younger, they do show interest in, in uh, creative endeavors, but something in their development says to them, no, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be doing this instead. And it's, and, and that's, that has a lot to do with um, growing up and losing um, an interest in creativity. But yeah, the spark itself uh, is an important one, but even more important is that positive encouragement and reinforcing of said uh, spark. Uh, I don't know what your, if, if you had that when you were growing up, but I, I kind of didn't, unfortunately, because I and my parents were quite um, strict when it came to the uh, creative side of things they didn't really understand it so they kind of encouraged me to do other subjects and then you know I was kind of encouraged to do maths and science as a kid um but I very soon showed my true passions uh, when I was like 15 16 kind of picking out picking up drawing and kind of being a lot better at it so 
uh, eventually I kind of Mm. found my own path I think later that's so interesting and how how did that feel when you had that sort of passion bubbling but the people around you were um perhaps putting greater value on different skills and a different path I think I felt it wasn't so much of a conscious feeling at the time it's more Mm. kind of reflecting back on on what it was like at the time but um or reflecting back today on and maybe looking back and saying had I done this earlier I could have done this and had I done this with more emphasis I could have done it this way but realistically I chose the own path anyway I remember being at school and we were what how old were we 15 16, 17, when we were allowed to start having free period lessons where you could do whatever mm. you wanted in that time, I spent every hour of every free period in the art room. So I <laughs> I chose my own path at that time, and I was already on that journey from then on, basically. So anything that came in the way would, would fall by the waistline because I was so kind of happy and comfortable in that art room, um, you know, working on my art projects. Um, my grades elsewhere may have uh, sh- may have fallen um, because of it, but <laughs> I ended up doing what I wanted uh, now, so it's fine, not a problem. But that yeah. was the thing that told love- my parents, you know, quite early on. Okay, he's going to do something creative rather than uh, something math or sciencey. Yeah, and did they come round to it? Did they? They, did they warm up. Have, <laughs> kind of. They have. Uh, <laughs> they are happy that I'm happy. Isn't that the, it's, it's, a, it's a terrible way of saying it, but they are happy that I'm making a living and doing you know something I enjoy. And realistically, you should follow your own path because you know my parents are retiring. Or they retired this year, and my dad was very much saying things like, oh, "Did I choose the wrong path? Should I have done something that I enjoyed more?" You know, and I was like, "But you were telling us mm. to focus on science as a math." So that gave me a kind of like jolt of uh, even today to follow that creative path even further and and you know do what you enjoy the most uh, and don't let anybody tell you else uh, otherwise basically yeah it's so true and it's interesting how um you sort of talked about I think I think you you used the term and then when you were a bit older and you, you became a teenager and your art kind of got quite quite good and I think there's this sort of space where kids can have a passion for something and then if they are not getting the encouragement or if the people around them are sort of placing value on other things and then at the same time they maybe realize oh actually I don't think I'm particularly good at this um that can really sort of just put an end to something that was starting to to grow and starting to build because quite early on kids will will start to sort of like prune their interests and if they're getting Mm -hmm. information that um they perhaps shouldn't pursue with them and I think for me I I sort of, um, you know, was at school in the 90s. And if if you were creative, you were good at drawing. Basically, that was that was kind of it. <laughs> you were good at art. You did really, really well um, in the art lessons. Like you had these books full of these stunning drawings. So really early on, I was like, I can't really do anything that's, um, you know, related to a sort of creative pursuit. I kind of went very much down the like English and writing route because... 
I was quite a good writer and that's kind of my creativity poured out into that medium which I guess people around me understood and, and valued but because I couldn't really draw very well um my creative potential was I think totally missed so I kind of went on to study um advertising and marketing and then I ended up going into sort of um children's research um and kind of trends and futuring and that sort of thing so my creativity really was able to come out but it's only now that I've sort of stepped away from the corporate world and I'm kind of working on my own brand and I'm designing products and I'm like oh this feels like this is it like this is how I like I'm good with ideas and concepts um and and sort of bringing them to life and but it's only really now I feel like I'm getting so close now to sort of what I am meant to do or like what's authentic to me and it feels so exciting um but yeah I, I kind of track back to those early experiences yeah it, it does it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because you know the 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 idea of being good at drawing is so abstract when you look at all of the illustrators that work today they draw in so mm. many different styles and so many you know, some of them draw characters with giant heads or long limbs or, you know, mm. these are the types of drawings that we made as kids, you know, very abstract scales and stuff. And, and when you get taught, no, you have to draw a human being like that or this perspective, it needs to look like that for this reason or a dog has four legs. You know, it doesn't need to have four legs. It can have eight legs if you wanted to. And that's part of you en- encouraging the, the person to kind of draw in the way that they want to. And... uh yeah, and also outside of drawing, if if you weren't good at drawing as a kid, if they, I'm I'm sure art teachers are like that, like this now. But I, mine wasn't so much. He was a great guy, but I think some art teachers would be like, okay, so you can't draw. Why don't you try collaging instead, or try painting or mm. ceramics? There's lots of different kind of realms to kind of work in to express that creativity, and even like you say, just idea creation working in collaboration with another student where someone comes up with the idea and the other one draws it and it's a joint project, you know, that kind of thing mm, where, where yeah. you maybe take the ego out of, out of the, uh, the, the project altogether and, and two kids work together on a project for, for a year at school. Yeah. Because you just mentioned the idea creation and the marketing and stuff like that. That's all very creative, but it's not as tangible as drawing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And actually, it's it's interesting what you say about working in duos, because that is often how people work, isn't it? In the sort of um, in the creative industries, you often get partnerships with different skill sets coming together. But yeah, I, my um, son is very into um, drawing and all things creative he likes doing sort of storytelling with toy photography and he's just got an art scholarship actually which is amazing he's, he oh, starts wow. in September at secondary school yeah amazing. so we've really been encouraging that and I've been showing him your work he just he's quite blown away by it oh. um but he's I think he he all of his sort of passion and um artistic exploration has come outside of school like in school it's very much like we're making a pot and this is how you make a pot and you know it has to be done in this particular way or they'll kind of study like the Tudors or something and that you know they have to do everything and it doesn't feel like the there is a contemporary understanding of creativity in mm-hmm. um the education system at least in you know I can only speak from from the point of view of England um yeah 
and it is quite frustrating because obviously I'm sort of I've come from working in more creative industries and I'm like there's just such a disconnect here um there's just no kind of especially at his age I mean he's only 10 there should just be this explosion of expression and freedom and like really do we we have people come to the school (laughs) to give workshops like what can we do I'm up I'm up for anything I'll happily come and uh, teach a class at your son's school and give them a lecture on how to create these oh my god he'd love that yeah oh my goodness I'll hold you to that I don't know I swear what what do you think is what do you think would be for kids that have this sort of thirst for art and creativity what what are like really valuable tools to give them? So, so one I would love to give. So my son really loves um like spray can, like graffiti. And we sort of put boards up in the garden and let him kind of go loose with that. But he is incredibly self-critical. Um, and I mm-hmm. feel like that is maybe a sort of artist thing that they have to learn. <laughs> like he obviously looks at his work in such a way that I find it quite hard to understand I mean I guess we all do this to some extent with whatever our our work is but like I would love to for school to to be training that kind of muscle like that sort of that sort of freedom and ability to make mistakes try things out and have that quite healthy relationship with critiquing but also loving your own work yes that is a difficult one because we all suffer from that self-critical uh issue and um i would say the answer to that is that uh, i'm trying to think for my own self because i've start i've started to got, get get over it a lot more than i um had before and i tend to make a piece of work and move on to the next one quite quickly i don't tend to um hmm. i don't have to focus too much on the details and the kind of like minute details of, of the piece of work um, and it's more a large or a wider sense of what are we, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to create surreal worlds with my work. And if I, if I see a problem with one piece, I tend to say, okay, I've learned from that and I'm going to apply it to the next one and try something else on the next one to kind of like, you know, um, go against what I was having. But I, in terms mm-hmm. of the criticalness of your son, is he focusing on the, details and saying oh that that thing didn't spray correctly or, or that line wasn't straight enough you know or, or was he or is he more just don't doesn't like any of it <laughs> I think it's um he, he it's sort of I think it's just perhaps a a general sense of self-doubt which possibly comes mm. from other subjects um and just right. general sort of school experience and perhaps not having that encouragement like you say like for example I think the art teacher was really quite shocked when he got an art scholarship like I don't think she really knew that he sort of had this passion and this just like creative zinginess um outside of school um because he just does not respond to uh, like the constricts of working in that way that's just not what art is to him like it's he describes art as a sort of un unmuddling of what's in his head <laughs> and kind of oh, just wow. pouring it out um almost like a sort of um like a diary sort of experience um which is really different to like here's how you make a Tudor pot like that's just yeah. kind of quite dull for him um I so yeah I guess advice, I don't know if, if it's just well I would say the advice to to combat the negative 
or the negativity or put, you know putting himself down the way of combating that is just is positive affirmation but also positive affirmation while um in failure as well like it's okay that you fail it's great that you fail mm. because you get to do this rather than only focusing positivity towards encouragement of like cele- you know, celebrating good things like every bit of encouragement should be positive rather than negative it's like reframing uh, positive reframing i learned a lot of this in therapy actually you re- you positively reframe any situation so that you can think positively rather yeah. than go down a negative route um yeah and i guess this is the problem with you know the education system because i went to school and was exactly the same i i was only focused on art and i got to Mm. a level at my other subjects but they were not interesting at all i was falling asleep in every single lesson because i was just thinking about drawing and stuff um but you know i mean after a certain age school is very much a system that is in place and it's not for everybody, but there is a way out. You know, in a few years' time, he will be able to start his own artistic practice and kind of, you know, uh, and and go on that path as soon as possible. It's only a few years away, right? He's, he's yeah. 10, did you say? Yeah, definitely. And I think at secondary school, I think that art experiences will be quite different. Um, what you were saying there about the uh, sort of positive reinforcement in um, failure as well reminded me of uh, we went on a trip to L.A. and at Venice Beach in L.A., they have these walls that um, continually get um, repainted and painted and anyone can kind of just go and do their art on them. Um, it's really, really cool. Um and anyway we went down there and he kind of yeah he had some cans and it was just like such an amazing experience for him and it was quite a public thing to do so it was quite sort of like quite daunting and and it was just a really big moment in his like creativity journey but we got chatting to quite a lot of the local street artists there and they would show him they'd be like you know look I did this and it's it's actually gone wrong like this hasn't worked out and now I'm going to do this and it's it's going to change it and actually it looks like cooler than I thought it was going to look so um it's good to hear that from like not your mum <laughs> so, so I think like when you were saying getting artists into school and so I think it is really important to hear it from you know good role models and and people that are kind of doing it and and kind of living it in a really authentic way because that definitely had an impact on him and one of the street artists was like look dude you got to you've got to um kind of love your work before anyone else does because if you don't think that you know it has value in it then um perhaps no one else (laughs) will either um and it was kind of just this moment where I was like keep talking please (laughs) keep talking (laughs) because obviously that is absolutely correct (laughs) having your own self-worth I mean it's it's the same in life isn't it yeah totally and, and 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 being kind to yourself means that you will be kind to others and others will be kind to you moving forward. And it's the same with work. Um, I, I can, I, that thing that the graffiti artist said to your son about, you know, he's made a mistake, but he's turning that mistake into something else, which, which is, you know, which would be a new part of the, of the uh, piece of work. And it's exactly the way I work. I don't actually have a plan most of the time with the pieces that I make for myself. I start and, I put shapes together and put lines down and then those lines turn into something else. Like I don't have a 
pre-plan about mm. what I'm doing most of the time. And that is a overthinking issue. So, you know, self-doubt comes from overthinking. And that was, I recently had changed my style to all of this work that you mentioned earlier, my, my, my work currently. It's been only been going on for a couple of years. But I, the, one of my main lessons... Oh, really? For, what was it? It has, yeah. So beforehand, it was very gritty and textured and still quite colourful, but it was layered over with lots of texture and, and gradients and things like that. Um, oh. Still quite surreal. And then before that, a couple of years before that, I had a style that was uh, Where's Wally? Very cartoon-based, very small characters. Right. I did a book called Where's the Dude? Um, the dude from the Big Lebowski. I did a book for Lawrence <laughs> King Publishing. So I have. I've been doing this since 2012. I've had many different styles, and I eventually got to this new one, which I'm very happy with, and this is the one I'll I'll take forward. But um, my lessons for taking on this new style, or my rules to myself, were don't overthink it. I think that was about it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that was about it's a good, it. It's just, a good rule. It was just start things with passion and excitement and just really don't overthink because you make much bolder decisions when you don't overthink things. You don't question whether you should put a giant head, um, or a giant flower on the head of a body with an eyeball in the center. You just don't think about it. You just like do it. It's the first thing that comes to your mind. Yeah, you know? I love that. Um, That's so interesting to, to sort of hear hear how your style has changed so much because I think, I think perhaps we sort of live in a world where we feel like we need to almost like brand ourselves to the point of you know we have to be this one particular thing and like label ourselves this way and this is what we have to do and we have to be so consistent with it but I love um how you describe the the journey of your work and actually that that your style has changed quite massively um over the years I think that's really cool it has, yeah. It was, um, I don't, I think it, at the time I started each style, I was very happy and content. And then a couple of years down the line, you start to go, I'm not sure I'm enjoying this anymore. I'd like to try something else. And then you do that and, you, and it carries on that way. And that I think that's the reason for the style change, but it's very much kind of listening to yourself and saying, is this, to get sound cheesy again is this authentically what i would do and i think um before i started this new style i had i had a couple of conversations with some other artist friends and one of my friends was like i really liked the thing you did a couple of years ago it was brightly colored very flat and a busy composition and you're quite good at that you should continue doing that and that was the, the benchmark for all the stuff i've been doing now and it's finding those little nuggets of like when someone says this one's really good compared to this one, you're kind of like, okay, so what are the things within that piece that I that that I like doing and, and that are emphasized in that piece of work? Mm. Um, so as I get, I will, so for example, oh, this is the other thing about getting bored and trying thing, new things. I, got, I recently got commissioned to do alternative screen printed film posters, officially licensed with the um, film license. So basically uh, I did, Clockwork Orange and 2001 A Space Odyssey. And yeah. I know that that client will continue to come back and kind of, you know, um, ask me to do film posters. So I now don't really need to focus on trying other avenues within the film poster industry. It, it's like, now I'm going to try and do album cover artwork or fashion clothing, you know, like it's, 
I'm taking on a thing, and as soon as that thing becomes a regular thing, I'll move on to the next thing. The style will often obviously evolve with each project, but it's it's not it's not being too focused on doing the same thing over and over again. There's two uh, there's two ways of thinking, isn't there? You can do that, and you can get very successful at it, or you can do different types of things um, somewhat uh, similar in terms of style and do it that way. So you're always changing and varying up your, your work. I'm trying to think of artists that I that encourage me to do that or their work encourages me to do that. I guess Damien Hirst's work is very different, mm. right? Every project he does is all sorts. It's, it's kind of like he'll do a medicine room one year and he'll do a um, butterfly room another, do polka dots one year and giant paintings another which completely different. Takeshi Murakami is quite similar. Mm. There is a through there's a through line of his work, but if you look back at his older work, it's very kind of textured and kind of like grainy. And now he does these flower characters, and I'm sure in 20 years' time he'll be doing something completely different. It's very much. I think the lesson there is to really listen to your own enjoyment, and if you're not having fun anymore, try something new. I'm probably going to do collage. Yeah, too, I think. collages are quite fun. Mm. I've never tried mm. them before. And I- and I think it's just such a, a a general lesson or a sort of philosophical thought for life, really, isn't it? I think a lot of people get sort of stuck in things and mm-hmm. it can become quite intimidating to to try something new, whether that's in work or just like your sort of play and what you're doing for fun or even in things like parenting and relationships. Like you sort of, you, you can sort of just get on these treadmills and I think what you describe how you because a couple of times now you've mentioned being able to move on quite quickly and (laughs) that really resonates with me because that I am so like that like I don't it's not that I'm unsentimental but like if I leave a job or whatever I'm not it's just not a big deal for me like I kind of can skip around and I also with my play and you know like at the moment I'm quite into sort of doing rock climbing and then like a few months ago I was really into roller skating like I find it sort of easy breezy to move around and and, and some people really can't do that like they sort of get very hung up on almost like becoming an expert or perfecting something and there is there is a joy in that as well the mastery Mm -hmm. for some people but I do think there is something very healthy about being able to move on and try new things and I think it um it brings an extra level of playfulness in into your life if if you can if you can kind of do that and and enjoy change. It really does, and I, I always tend to look at film directors and film actors as a good uh, benchmark for this particular topic because someone like I'm going to try to think because um, a lot of the film directors now that I can think of all have to do the same thing over and over again. <laughs> um, <laughs> Chloe Zhao recently directed Nomadland and she won an Oscar for directing Nomadland and her next film that's coming out is a Marvel movie and there are mm. a lot of directors who would say to Chloe Zhao like you should not be directing Marvel movies you should be doing serious dramas like the one you just did and won an Oscar for but Chloe Zhao came from Spike Lee's tutorage basically Spike Lee used to teach her in in New York uh, as at his film class and Spike Lee's movies are always very different like he did a version he did a remake of Old Boy and he does he does I mean set black centric movies but he will definitely do a different type of film each time and as he did a Spike Lee did a war movie called The Five Bloods recently and it's completely different to 
his movies from the 90s. And, and it's those kind of, whatever I see creators out there in the world who try something new each time mm. and try a different thing, that tends to encourage me quite a lot as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree, yeah. Um, I'm curious if you're this sort of like playfulness and the ability to kind of change direction and go where the joy is, does that help you with I suppose this this question and this topic that I do love to ponder over of when your job is also your passion so mm-hmm. I think you know that the message today is very much like you know do something that you love like find a job that you enjoy like you know monetize what makes you happy but there are sort of challenges within that and if I think back to you know that image you created of you and those free periods and just diving into your art and you know <laughs> all sort of like coming out there um Obviously, there were no constraints on you in terms of like having to make an income and that that sort of, you know, that that ability to do something just for intrinsic purposes where it is pure play does slightly change when, you know, you're being commissioned or, you know, you you need to make um, a certain amount of money. And I just wondered how how do you sort of reconcile those things and how do you how, how has the your relationship with art changed as it has become your actual job yeah that's absolutely true and I think the the lessons that I took with that were that I always have a personal project on the go and I tend to alternate between commissioned and client-based projects and my personal work and I'll often speak to another artist and the artist will be saying you know, I've got this project on and this project on and this client, this client, this client. And I say to my, I, I always respond back with like, yeah, I'm doing a client project right now, but I need to do a personal project to get me back out of it. Like I need, I need the freedom. Um, every, every alternate piece of work I do, I tend to need that freedom to actually like bolster up new creativity. So I would say that the best way of handling it with regards to paid work and personal work is to try and do them at the same time and then that way you've always got even if it's taking one day a week where the rest of the week is all paid in commercial work and it could get quite taxing by the end of the week but that one day that sunday is a pure creativity day you do whatever you want with it you know you can you can work on personal projects um and yeah that's how i did it i think but I tried to incorporate the best thing about doing that, that doing it that way is that a lot of the personal work starts to kind of merge into the client work and the commission work if, if, if you're doing it correctly. And eventually everything becomes paid and you have to find a new passion altogether, like a new hobby. It's the, it's the job versus the hobby thing. I can yeah. describe it to you right now. My current job is being an artist making surreal pieces of work specific to client projects like I worked with a shoe company recently on a project that was very specific to that brand but my hobby is to create abstract paintings or or piece or canvases that have just got shapes and colors and a few illustrations on them they don't really they don't have a meaning or they don't have any eventually that that stuff I'm doing with my hobby will become my job and someone will start paying me for that. And then I'll have to find a new hobby where I have the fullest creative freedom for myself. And I think I always encourage doing 
personal projects uh, that don't really have a, um, how do you say, a commercial outcome. You have to be thinking very freely when it comes to these personal projects. Have a theme, have a personal theme or, or whatever, but um, it shouldn't have a kind of monetary um, uh, end point, if you will. It may turn into that, yeah. but it, it, it's always more pure if it's, if it starts out as something that's just a a um, experiment. I, for example, again, I've got another example. I did. Um, I was walking around town. I took a day off and had a wander around town and started taking pictures of buildings on the street. And within my framing of these pictures, I was like, oh, I can actually see a face. We see loads of faces in buildings. We see loads of like, you know, abstract faces in, in architecture. And I was like, oh, I can take this home and for one day in the week, I can draw over the photo and put some of my characters on there. And, and um, you know, like the first one I did was um, Burlington Arcade on, on Regent Street. And it's got a giant archway um, entry point to the arcade. And I turned that into a big mouth and then I put a kind of rainbow tongue coming out of it onto the floor. I drew over the, the photograph and then I put two eyes in the windows above the archway and then it becomes a big face. And then I was like, right, I think I'm going to do this once a, or I probably haven't done it once a week, but once every few months and just turn that into something. And then someone recently mm. was like, oh, you should, you should turn that into a book and sell it. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, become, that then becomes a, a money-making yeah. thing. And I'll have to find another thing, a new thing, just kind of that's, that's more idea-focused and just comes out of nowhere. Um, did I answer the question correctly? I feel like I yeah, that is. I think that is just such a brilliant delineation between where you're at play and where you're at work. And I think where sometimes people get muddled up is that you you can you can be working within your passion and still really enjoying it, and you're you're loving doing what you're doing, but it's still very much work. Like when you were on a, a rest day, like you described, you wouldn't want to do that thing again. <laughs> Um, you no. wouldn't sort of necessarily choose to do it over and over again because it is it is work um, and also how you described about once that becomes um, monetized then I have to find something else that's what's really key as well so I do a lot of also um, business uh, consulting and um, particularly with uh, sort of female um, business owners who are kind of looking to do startups and, and and quite often they'll say oh I've been doing this thing and it's been bringing me and it's normally a creative thing um it's been you know I get so much joy from it I'm, I'm so passionate about it and I think I can turn it into a business and I'm like that's cool but just be aware <laughs> that all of that joy that you're getting from that thing what else is either going to replace that or like how are you going to make sure you still have that because the dynamics do change when the motivation is no longer purely intrinsic like you I think you use the word like when you are just um uh, sort of at your at your most creative or at your fullest creativity or something like that and that's that's mm -hmm. kind of what I'm getting to it's like I think and you had a really good way of describing the boundaries between those two and being aware of them and I think that's really important because a lot of people who yeah start to kind of monetize what they're really passionate about and, and and particularly sort of artistic pursuits can end up losing the thing that brought them so much joy if they don't have the boundary and if they don't have anything anywhere else to kind of get that that play from yeah and in terms of the the kind of personal project 
um, which is the more the hobby based thing that isn't monetized but could be later on. It's it's complete freedom. It's you can do whatever you want. You don't have to adhere to certain rules or you know, I what did I do recently? Oh, I I had my sketchbook and I was getting a bit down that a lot of my work was digital and um, I was staring at screens for too long and I, I I spoke to a friend and he was like. Just start sketchbooks, start doodling, start putting some pieces together that are presentable, not necessarily, because I have a sketchbook for ideas, which is far more messy and kind of, you know, you're coming up with things. But this was more of a kind of final presentation sketchbook where you put together pages which looked quite final and finished. And I, this is where I did, um, again, starting with a blank page, didn't have any pre-planned, but you just start drawing lines to fill with color and shapes and, and whatever. And I put that on Instagram and I think it was re it was shared quite a lot. And then within a few months, um, the clothing brand, Lucy and Yak, were like, can we take one of these pages and turn it into a t-shirt? And I was like, wow, that's, that is a product or a paid job that came out of a personal piece of work with, with no intention of it turning into. And it's very, it's very difficult to tell someone to do that without them thinking this could turn into a, a paid thing soon you know it, it, you really have to it really has to come from a pure innocent like i just want to draw circles for a while and see what that circles on a piece of paper <laughs> a different shapes and and see what that turns into it's it has to be very pure and very non-money related it's it's a difficult one yeah. when you're once you're in the industry and you're trying to figure it figure that that stuff out i think jonathan is it jonathan burton is that his name the guy that does He's very playful and he will do randomly start drawing like faces and characters on, he lives in New York and on the sides of... Oh, John um, Bergerman. John, John Bergerman, that's it, that's it. But yeah, the way he describes it. Yeah, is very, Fe- like, my, Phoenix, my son, making, loves him. <laughs> oh yeah, he's great. And he'll start making videos of like characters flying through um, where he'll record a train moving and then he'll and then later he'll like draw over a character just like hanging off the back of a train for example you know that kind of thing but that clearly all yeah. comes from just a pure like wow i should do this right now or it's it's being very kind of like open and free and trying not to be i don't know held back by anything but yeah exactly all, and that's yeah. that's 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 the play that's when we're at, at play when we're doing something just for fun and I think when we get under pressure and when the sort of seriousness of adulthood um hits us we can find it hard to justify those moments because we always feel like we should be being more productive or we should be doing something more purposeful with our time but what you're describing is actually you never know where that play is going to take you and uh, whether that ends up because becoming a thing that turns into a job or even if it just takes you um to a greater understanding or a direction of of sort of something that that is important to you but there's always value in just playing and just doing things because you feel a creative urge or or it just sort of brings you some level of fun and joy for sure i want to um talk a bit about your work um so when i look at your work um I I the word that comes to mind is imagination so I um kind of try and picture like what is going on inside your brain um and it's just like this sort of this like surreal kind of just brilliant um 
there's so much going on in it. And I'd love to hear you talk about imagination and how imagination plays a a role in your process and in your work and and how yeah like how do you kind of get into that state of wonder um and imagination because that's just really what sort of like oozes through uh through your work when when I look at it so I'd love to to yeah talk a little bit about imagination it's so it's so funny because everybody who looks at my work tends to imagine that that's what's inside my head and I'm living in this very strange world where (laughs) characters with flowers for heads are running past me and like I don't know I'm being swallowed by a giant tongue that's that's attached (laughs) to a bare face and stuff and realistically I love all of that stuff but I'm putting it down onto a piece of paper or a digital canvas and then looking at it for a little bit letting my mind wander and then saying okay, a giant triangular shape should happen right here because it makes sense for this piece. And it's, it's instinctive in, t- in terms of while I'm mm. actually making the work, it's very instinctive. You say you're, you're making it and it's this kind of pure idea creation while you're making it. But the rest of the time, my brain is pretty much like, okay, what's for breakfast? Uh, got to exercise <laughs> today. You know, I've, I'm off to... I'm off to meet a friend now. I'm not like on my way to meet my friend and I'm like off on some spacey adventure in my head. I wish that was the case. Um, but I do actually, in saying that, I'm not that boring. I will, um, when a friend will come up with something or will say something, I will respond and, and in the kind of weirdest way. And I'll say, uh, I'm trying to think of an example, but. Um, you know, a friend will come up with a situation and I will just think think and say, instinctively think and say of the of a completely obscure situation in return. And that is part of, and clearly that is part of the way I think. So it must be part of the way I kind mm. of make work as well. And um, I guess mm. any advice to that would be really listen to the way you speak and what what your comedic nature is like and what your personality is like and make work associated with that rather than try and be somebody else. It's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to do, but that's the way I make my work. And I am influenced, as, as you say, I, as we spoke earlier, I am influenced by similar types of artwork and the films I tend to enjoy are of the obscure nature as well. So, mm. it, but it's, it's not, it's a very authentic want, you know. I, I was, who was it? A friend recently was saying, was asking me for film recommendations, and my other friend who was in the conversation was like, "Sean will tell you the weirdest films you can ever think of, beyond a point of enjoyment. Like you will not, you will not get these movies." And I was like, "I don't know, you know, maybe." But so, I think it's clearly like when I mentioned those films earlier, it's very much like understanding what, what's your favorite type of film? What, what do you enjoy, take the most out of it? What's your favorite type of music? Like what, what do you constantly listen to? And if everyone's telling you to listen to this, but all you're really doing is listening to another song or, you know, it's being yeah. true to yourself in that way. Um, and it goes all the way down to kind of behavior and comedy and, and what do you do for your friends and, and that kind of thing. And that's where my work comes from. It's it's all very instinctive to who I am as a person rather than saying, I like the look of that piece of artwork. I'm going to do a version of that. It's it's like, yeah, it's, that's the way I tend yeah, to work. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. I love that so much. And earlier we talked about 
the power and importance of those creative sparks. And it's almost like what you're saying there is that some of those are actually within us as well and looking at almost embracing our weird quirks and also our humor I think there's so much to be learned and said for for how we engage with humor those are creative sparks in themselves and it's funny like when you were talking recently I I was trying to get myself out of the habit of binging this show that I'd become really obsessed with oh, what because was the show? I was the show is this is us it's on Amazon and it's it's kind of like about this family and it skips backwards and forwards and generations very okay. good yeah. but I've only yeah. just started it and there's eight seasons it's very daunting <laughs> and and I got so sucked in and I loved the show but I was like I'm not doing anything with my evenings like I'm not being creative I'm not playing I'm not doing any like active stuff um and before I was and I could sort of see myself slipping um and I kind of missed those things so I was like I need to just break this cycle and I didn't know what that was going to be but I wrote this um blog post in my Patreon group in the style of my humor it was about um kind of like my what was going on with one of my kids and all of these dramas around the school prom and and I wrote it very much in the style of my humor and I hadn't written like that for a really long time and it was it just sort of unlocked something inside of me creatively that I was like oh yeah this is this is actually how I do things. This is how I (laughs) sort of like my style, (laughs) if you like, um, in this kind of sort of sarcastic, witty, um, slightly too close to the edge (laughs) sort of style of of humor. And it was amazing, like the, the power that it had. It made me just feel like really confident and really alive. And I think that's what you're saying. It's like when you, when you can bring out those quirks, those like weird parts of you, the humorous sides of you into whatever it is, and you can pour those into something, it's so rewarding and just feels so good. Yeah, exactly. Our, our behavior as human beings is a product of our, the environment that we have around us. And if we're not, when we're creative people, if we're not responding to those exact things that have influenced us and have made us the person that we are, it doesn't really speak. I don't know. You, you kind of it speak volumes when you're when you're when you're addressing those things, like. I come from a mixed heritage, or I say mixed heritage. I, I come from a Sri Lankan family, but I was brought up in South Wales, and then I li- moved to London when I went to university. And even that alone, just those yeah. three things, is a is part of the work I make. It's part of my story. So why not embrace that part of your story and, and include it in your work in, in some form or another? Um, and it's the same with the writing. You're co- completely correct. Like that level of authentic writing is unique to you and is also incredibly relatable to others as well because others would have gone would have had very similar experiences or slightly similar experiences and thus would buy a book of that of those stories that you write eventually i'm hoping is that going to (laughs) happen maybe yeah maybe who knows see where it goes i'm always i I always like to encourage people to kind of like embrace those things and turn them into something you know tangible yeah. Well, I well actually, when we were talking about partnerships, because I'm working on this sort of play concept, and I was like, ah, oh, I'm going. I need to talk to Sham about <laughs> being <laughs> being the uh, the visualizer of this. Um, because yeah. Anyway, that's that's oh, cool. for later. Um, I love yeah. how you describe <laughs> your process. Um, because 
yeah so I do look at the work and think wow that's that's Sham's head <laughs> um, but actually the way you describe it is almost like you're writing a story as you're creating like the elements are kind of coming together um, through your work and I think that's actually really insightful because I think you know you know, thinking again just my son and I'm sure other people lots of parents sort of tune into this um, it can be quite intimidating when you look at sort of really accomplished art um and you think oh I just don't and lots of people say I'm not imaginative I'm not creative and I think to hear you say it actually flows out like once you get started it sort of flows out of you and you're almost piecing it piecing different puzzles of of, of the picture together as it goes telling this story I think that's really um helpful actually and really um really great to hear because I look at that and think wow like I as many people I'm sure would think I would never be able to come up with that. And we wouldn't because that's, that's you um, and very unique to you, but we all have our own version of something that, you know, if we have the sort of confidence and we take the spark and we get into flow, um, it, it can, it can come out. It doesn't have to be like, I know what I'm going to draw and it's this perfect thing here and now it's going to end up here. It's actually, you know, much more of a kind of, you know, try it out and, and sort of fail, have a go, have a play um, yeah, and create kind of exactly. process. The thing that you were describing earlier about seeing accomplished artists and then kind of you know, saying, oh, I'm not so good about that. Let's give that a name. It's called Compare and Despair. It's a it's not the best trait in the world, but it's something I learned in therapy sessions. We we do it in life. We do it everywhere. We say that person's car is nicer than mine. I'm sad about that fact. You know, it's but if we give it a name and recognize that that's what we're doing, it's a lot easier to uh, I don't know move past it and say I'm just going to focus on my own journey and my own path and you know take enjoyment out of the thing that I that I'm doing rather than comparing and despairing. Instagram is, is a difficult platform because it's great for getting your work out there, but it's terrible for putting your work next to someone else's, which is mm. what happens quite a lot. Mm. And um, the focus is always to, rather than to compare and despair, compare yourself to your own, you know, to yourself to say, okay, what did I do last week and what am I doing this week? And you're comparing the two and you're like, cool, well, I can do a bit better than that one. I'll move on to the next one. And then that way you're kind of like, you're more focused on the journey that you're on as well. Um, but yeah, the, the, the freedom of expression is uh, is there and it's very much when you when you make a piece of work and you just start exploring and putting things down on paper. It's where the best ideas come from, I think. And then... That can be very, I guess, the downside to that, because there is there's, there's positives and negatives about everything. The downside to having complete freedom of expression is you don't know when a thing will end or what a thing eventually is by the end of it. Whereas when a client comes to you and says, please, can you do what you do? But here are the constraints of the brief. Here's the the, the shoe brand uh, name and environment that we want your your characters and fun things to be in here's the the bottle of alcohol that we want you to draw around you know um, either mm. side of it gives you that slight bit of um, constraint where you can start catering that um, expression into something a little bit more tangible for a general audience and that's the real kind of difference between the full-on personal project where you're 
you're going crazy. And then the the client project where you have that slight bit of client constraint, which says, and I only take jobs on now that have that much level of constraint. Like if a client comes and says, we we have this idea and we want you to materialize it. I say, well, you, you already have the idea. You should do that yourself. You know, if, if someone says we have a brand and we have this theme, which is very loose, and we want you to kind of do your thing to, to address the theme. I was like, right, well, that's where we can have a bit more fun and creativity because there's, the rules yeah. haven't been set set yet. Yeah, yeah, that's so interesting, isn't it? It's like some, some sort of constraints or challenges can actually spark creativity and give you direction and almost like some sort of loose edges around what you're doing. Too many... And it's just like, it's just not, not conducive to creativity. Um, and that can be not that enjoyable, but none at all can also be <laughs> really intimidating for a lot of people and hard to sort of know where to start and where to end. That's really interesting. I do, I do put constraints on myself with personal projects. I do sometimes give the titles. I, I like recognize that this piece will be about X, for example. And then that at least gives you the the title of the piece of work gives you like the little bit of constraint that you need so you don't go completely off the rails and just draw, well, like I said earlier, yeah. circles for the entire piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, and I do, um, I do think challenge, challenges can also level up your creativity. Like, for example, um, I really love um, interior design and specifically designing spaces that are conducive to bringing out um, play in the home and I get a lot of messages about my kids' rooms in particular from people saying, oh, you know, I've got this like tiny room and it's just so, so tiny and it's so frustrating. And I'm like, okay, you've got to first of all love the space <laughs> before, you, before you get going and sort of see that as a creative challenge because we had a lot less space in our last home, but I actually found it really sort of thrilling getting into the challenge of like space hacking and figuring out what is like the maximum fun that I can have with this kind of restricted space. So I think if you can see those challenges sometimes as a way that can actually bring out your creativity and sort of like level it up, that that can be really fun as well. Yeah, I completely agree. There's, there's, you can kind of address creativity in all sorts of ways, even in the way you, um, I don't know, talk about interior design, but the way you like set up pots of like granola and, and porridge and oats and stuff on your shelf. There's a, there's a creative way of doing that. There's yeah. a, you know. Well, um, Sean, thank you so much for chatting to me. I feel very creatively inspired. Um, I I feel like I want to start a new personal project and carve out some time for that because I haven't done one for a while. And yeah, it's just so lovely to chat to you and hear about your process and your journey as an artist. It's super inspirational and um, appreciate the the tips and thoughts for, for my child as well and, and slightly <laughs> apologize for using you as a... Uh, <laughs> artistic uh, <laughs> not at all anytime, anytime. I'm, I, I do tend to my girlfriend says I'm like the best person to talk to when it comes to like motivating someone to do something and just encourage giving them positive affirmation and you know and I, I recently um, a friend of ours James he won't mind me saying his name but he worked in 
corporate copywriting for many years. And he asked me out for a drink and we went and had a drink and he said, I really, I really want to get into voice acting. And I was like, wow, okay, that is amazing. And I basically, I have a, a few friends in the industry. So I was like, okay, so let me put you in touch with these people. And this was two to three years ago. And he has been working, classes, rehearsing, kind of training. And most recently, he sent me his first paid voice acting gig. And I was mm. so ecstatic because he has changed his careers. He has chosen a thing, he realized the thing he enjoyed and moved on from it. And I was just completely happy for him because it's just something that he was passionate about doing. And yeah, I, I tend to get very excited to, to help people kind of fulfill their passions and get into what they they would like to do so um i'm happy to IDT. do that anytime yeah <laughs> you IDT, want, you're you a booster we need <laughs> <laughs> we need lots of you in the world um well thank yeah. you so much it's been a pleasure emma that was absolutely fascinating wow he's awesome isn't he art sometimes do you need a ceiling on creativity emma not on creativity, but I think creativity breeds really well with challenges. If you can see them as challenges, though. So as an example, um, as you know, I love interior design um, and I love sort of designing rooms for play. And whenever, every time I talk about this on Instagram, I always get loads of messages from people saying like, oh, my rooms are tiny or, you know, this is like a really rubbish space. And I'm like, okay, first port of call is you've got to love that space and you've got to see the challenges as opportunities. Um, and we lived in a very different house, didn't we, before we had this one. And that like room that Indy had, which was, <clears throat> um, I mean, it, they called it a third bedroom, but that was London. <laughs> you could barely get a single bed yeah. in it, could you? Um, and it was just like, okay, let's just, what is the most like playfulness we can have with this room within the space that we've got. And then it like, actually your creativity really, really kicks in. So I, I don't think a ceiling is the right word, but challenges and even things like deadlines, like basic things like that, or budgets, like they can also be creative challenges. I think that can really sort of put a rocket under creativity for sure. Okay, can I bring this back to 80s movies? Ugh, classic. Yeah. Well, I think why I like old films so much is because they were very much operating under the constraints of the time and what they could achieve with the tools that they had around them. And now you you hear a lot of directors saying, you, you know, you can do anything. You The sky is the limit. We Whatever you think you can put on the screen. And, and I, yeah, it's like maybe that's not always yeah. great that you can do anything. Yeah. That's exactly you know, it. and you, you know, with CGI, they can literally do whatever they want. So they don't necessarily have to think their way out of an interesting problem and get creative. They can just lean on, you know, infinite possibilities. Yeah. I mean, that is good as well. It's a tricky one. Yeah, no, that the definition of creativity is new ideas. Emma, pressure makes diamonds. There you go. Um, and it's sort of, it's problem solving. And I think that's yes. where people, I mean, obviously this podcast has been about art specifically, but creativity, um, you know, runs across all um, all subjects and all, you know, you get creative in math, you get creative in science. Yeah. Um, it is coming up with new ideas um, through the, the sort of problem solving um, experience. And exactly as you say, for, for, for most people, I would say um, having 
too much choice too much freedom the blank sheet of paper sort of syndrome becomes like completely paralyzing when you can just do anything whereas if you've got some guardrails but you've got freedom in terms of how you um kind of work within them i think that's like optimum for creativity yes i think this is why in music bands struggle when they've made it and they become millionaires and they're in their mansions they have everything there's no sort of strife or barriers you know when you're young and you're you're up against it and out of that comes this incredible art yeah and then when you make it and you're lying by the pool and it's like right we've got to do an album your life is very straightforward. You've got nothing. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, you just want another hour, and you blow up flamingo. <laughs> Pretty much. That's why you have to be so disciplined to put those um, put those guardrails in yourself. Yeah, it's not like you want to put yourself through anything no. bad. No, but you cannot deny pressure and resistance can actually really make people do amazing things. Yeah. Yeah, but I would argue with the freedom in terms of how they come over that, though, because I think, you know, we had a conversation there about um, art in the curriculum mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, and when it becomes too much of this is how you do it and this is like... Well, that's technical. Yeah, we're sort of striving for this sort of perfect thing. That isn't really creativity. That's something different, I think. That's sort of like learning a particular um you know, sort of becoming an expert yeah in, but that in probably a di- should discipline. be a part of an art class <clears throat> it absolutely should be but i think pushing the, back on you a little bit of, there em. This... <laughs> a little bit of pushback get back in my game <laughs> um but i think the sort of the broader theme of creativity is what i would be looking for more in the curriculum maybe they need to call it creativity yeah which should be in every subject it's um it's it's i think in the workplace it is the Possibly second or third most important skill in talented employees. Yeah, I I tell you one thing. I I definitely don't like getting snobby about um, being creative or creativity. That's definitely my jam and how I think. But I certainly don't... I would never look down at someone that isn't creative because I believe... I truly believe that human beings, by their very nature are creative we are creative beings well you think unfortunately what's and, um, happened is people can get so snobby about it well it's, i don't know if it's snobby i think Ooh, I'm a creative lot, yeah i mean a lot of people are intimidated by creativity because they think it's something that's associated with artists or extroverts or people that wear really bright clothing or and and it's not like when you distill it down it is coming up with new ideas and going through the process of problem solving. Um, And I think actually we live in this world which is so sort of um, at opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of like encouraging creativity and um, suppressing it. So encouraging it because we have all of these platforms to express our creativity. And I would really encourage everyone, if you want to start a podcast, write something, take photos, like just do it, put it out there. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, not as good. I'm doing bunny ears, not as good as anyone else's. Like it's, yeah, I'd it's also not about I'd refine that. what you're saying. <laughs> I, I, 
I would also say that you don't have to put it out there. No, you don't have to put it out there at all. Um, no. The number one thing with being creative, you, you, I like to please myself first. Yeah. yeah. I do it because I want to do it. Yeah. Um, well, that's play. That's you're in play. Thanks, Ems. Yeah. So if you're doing it for um, intrinsic motivation, you're in play. On the flip side, where I think creativity gets suppressed is there's so much around like life hacks and um, like almost sort of like living vicariously through other people, watching them do the creativity and solve problems for us that we we don't so much um, think for ourselves in that way because there's always a solution. So if I'm like, oh, it's a rainy day, um, what should I do with the kids? Oh, I'll go on here and I'll find like, here's 10 things to do with children on a rainy day, which, you know, sometimes is great because (laughs) it's not always easy to think of things but just having those moments where you can challenge yourself to just be like you know what actually I don't want to go and do all the research I don't want to go and find everyone else's ideas I'm just gonna be like you want it to stop raining confident (laughs) I do want it to stop raining (laughs) confident and and sort of follow my follow my own ideas I think that's really important um, because once you stop doing that you you do you you lose creativity and it becomes incredibly intimidating to do it i notice that i think both you and i when we are creatively not in flow i don't think we are the best versions of ourselves like when we're both in a kind of creative cycle i notice that we're both so much more fulfilled and up in our energy and you will kind of go in sort of cycles where you've got like a little personal project on the go and with Sham we talked a lot about the importance of having personal projects that aren't like work related and I think like the effect of creativity and being creative on you and I is exactly the same in how people sort of talk about doing exercise Mm-hmm. so if you know I don't exercise feel like really sluggish and um I just yeah I don't have as much energy and I don't really feel like I'm looking after myself and I think the same applies to creativity um and I think it's actually quite a good way of thinking about it obviously time is a factor here but it's like another it's another sort of thing for us anyway I think we're both kind of like highly we have quite high creative needs. It's another thing that we, another muscle that needs to be exercised regularly. Otherwise, in. otherwise we're not quite, um, I don't think we're quite ourselves. Yeah. Sometimes having a large family isn't conducive to being creative just from a logistical point of view yeah. of time and yeah. space. So I find that it's rare that we're both firing together because yeah. someone has to let the other person do their thing and you know put a wash on yeah (laughs) yeah no it's so true and I get um I get this thing called creative frustration sometimes if I'm doing a lot of like mumming I feel (laughs) I feel like I've got all this like stuff in me like all these ideas and like stuff that I want to get out and it's like I've I've always got a kid on me and then I'll feel bad because I think oh you know I'm I am enjoying being with the kids and it's not that I don't want to do that but it's just like you know you have all these sort of like parts of you don't you that need sort of fulfilling and it's just impossible to yeah sometimes I do incorporate like the kids in like my videos and stuff and that's quite fun yeah doing that 
This has been fun for us to do together, hasn't it, this podcast? It's been very fun. We, I would say we've sort of always worked together in some capacity. Who's coming up next, Ems? I'm not sure. Really? Okay, but someone good. Yeah, we're, do- we're going to do an episode on um, the sort of t- expressing humour through TikTok, the kind of boom of comedians that kicked off in the lockdown and sort of explore how social media allows people to express their humour. Jeez, that sounds incredible. Well, it's a great podcast. <laughs> and speaking of which, uh, please subscribe, um, rate, leave us a review. We've had some lovely comments recently, um, both in the reviews and on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions. We've had some really great suggestions of themes um, that people would like us to cover. Yeah, I thought we were going to do questions next episode. We're going to do questions on my list. It's right in front of you. Wasn't it questions for me? Is to set up an email address. So we're going to get that set up so that people can send us questions. Um, But yeah, if Questions for the guest or questions... No, for us. Okay. Yeah. Because you never know what the guest is going to be in advance. Just a little bit, just a little bit of live podcast admin there admin podmin um yes and if you would like to sign up to my patreon you can find me playful den um it's five pounds a month and i'm now doing one live workshop as part of that membership the next one coming up is on the 19th of july and that is called summer of play and it's all about um getting parents into a playful mindset ahead of those summer holidays um so go and check that out um and we will be back next week next this week, week. <laughs> who knows when this thing's gonna drop thank you for listening and live playfully see you guys <laughs>